Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is John Andrew Collins, and he's written many books on different subjects. And I came across his work uh, researching another person. I came across, I've actually come across his books, and I was really just kind of looking into something else and came across his website and was really researching. So I reached out to him, and uh, he agreed to talk about his books. And the one that we're going to kind of focus on, which is very well researched, I highly recommend it. I've read through it. It's titled Preacher Behind the White Hoods, A Critical Examination of William Branham and His Message. And it was published in 2020 and has excellent reviews. It has 85 five-star ratings. And I think uh, it's a first-person personal account, too, which I think is very makes it even more important as a, as a writing, as somebody who was in this kind of group, this message, and then we're purveyors of the message, which we'll get into in detail. But John Collins' other books are Weaponized Religion, From Latter Rain to Colonia Dignidad, another is Militant Christian Extremism, a critical examination of John Alexander Dowie, and then Jim Jones, The Malachi for Elijah Prophecy, and another is To Drink But Not to Be Drunk In. Drinking from a Biblical Perspective, and then Stone Mountain to Dallas, The Untold Story of Roy E. Davis. So a lot of those other titles actually come into play into this book, Prohibition, Who Was Roy E. Davis, which is a question I'll ask him, and then also Jim Jones. And I wasn't aware of a lot of this stuff when we were talking in the pre-show, and I think he indicated that his research led to some of these connections that uh, maybe the public doesn't know, but we're going to talk more about that. So John Andrew Collins, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard your name, may not have heard your books, maybe you can just talk about your background. I think this is a personal story. Maybe talk about your background and what led you into just doing the real legwork and research and what led to this particular book, Preacher Behind the White Hoods. Yeah. So if you're unfamiliar with me, I am the um, author and the founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. <clears throat> and I'm glad that you chose this as the opening book for inviting me on the show, Preacher Behind the White Hoods, because it was the summation of almost a decade of research, may maybe even over a decade of research, that uh, went into this book. And I've actually... I've actually published almost 30 books. I've pulled most of them oh, off yeah. the shelf because this um, this was really the summation of all of that research. And I, even still, it skimmed the surface. It's such a complex, complicated story that is woven through so many different trails. You mentioned Jim Jones. There's Colonia Dignidad. Um more recently, they uncovered several of these books in a mass suicide in Kenya um, through Paul McKenzie, the Shakahola Forest Massacre. There, there were some connections there. Um, so th there's really a lot going on behind this. And um, my background, my grandfather was the pastor at William Branham's Branham Tabernacle in Jeffersonville, Indiana, for approximately 50 years. And I grew up raised from birth to both believe this stuff and be manipulated not to understand it. And I, um, without getting into a long <laughs> drawn out history, I went through some severe life changing traumatic events that just shook me. And one day I woke up and 
I um, suddenly realized I, I don't know why I'm in this. And I began to research it and just simply ask some questions. And just the simple fact of asking the question caused such a backlash that my family were instantly cut off from everyone I knew and loved. Um, we were publicly shunned from behind the pulpit by my own grandfather. And I knew something was wrong. So I started researching and, um, that's, that's really what led to this book. And all of the others that I wrote along the way were just me trying to piece all the puzzle pieces together. So, the, like like I said, this book, Preacher Behind the White Hoods, is the sum of that decade of research. Right. And so those are kind of common things in cults, is this shunning and being cut off and really not asking a lot of critical questions. Those are, like, I've done a lot of shows on cults and things, and this is, like, common things of people coming out of it, Scientology. I'm not saying this is even close to Scientology, but there's often, like, there's a cover story, like, uh, L. Ron Hubbard's a good example of a guy who had this whole myth of his real beginnings that he was traveling the world and talking to ancient cultures and was a researcher and, a, you know, adventurer. And then people started asking questions, is this real? And it turns out like there's a whole nother, whole nother real story. Would you think that that's something similar that happened in regards to William Branham? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> I'm actually working with some of the cult psychologists that worked with the, um, with people on the, that are connected to the Leah Remini show. And uh, one of them was actually on that series, but there's a framework that exists that if you take apart all of the doctrine that is used for a religious cult and understand that a, a destructive cult is not just a religious cult. There are political cults. There are financial cults. <clears throat> if you peel all of that back and look at the underlying structure, you have what Dr. Stephen Hassan refers to as the BITE model, the model of behavioral control, information control, uh, thought control and thought manipulation, and emotional control. And that framework allows a cult to become destructive. And there's a difference between a cult, which is just a, you know, a group of following of people for a dedicated cause, and a destructive cult, those that manipulate and um, they use the term brainwashing, but it's much deeper than that. They totally ruin the lives of the people who are in it when you're in a destructive cult. So Scientology, it exists in a different realm than Branham's message cult, but there's so many similarities when you look under the hood. What I discovered through my research was that while this was a Pentecostal movement, it really was a political cult that was disguised as a religious cult. So it's not even, when you look at the surface of this, it's not even what you think. This was a, this was a political cult. And I have, we talked before the show briefly, but I've spent many years trying to rewrite the history that's been covered up. And that's why when you open my books, you're going to find not just the footnote of where I got something. You're going to find the exact quote so that you can understand this is a history that the world has, for whatever reason, has covered this up. And I want to know why. So I dig deeper. Right. So you, this is a personal journey of research, doing it yourself, looking in, going to libraries. And Jeffersonville, for people who aren't don't have a map ready, is right across the Ohio River 
north of Louisville, Kentucky. And it was a prosperous town. And there's a lot of it, it, even that the topography is a story in and of itself, right? Oh, yeah. It's there's a crazy, fascinating history. Like I, I never would have dreamed that I <laughs> would connect all of these dots. But you'll read my book and you'll find names like the Kardashians and you'll you'll think, how in the world is the Kardashian family connected to this? And <clears throat> the first one that hit me was Al Capone because I never knew that history of Jeffersonville. I, all I knew was this was Mecca. This is where you, where the people come to visit my grandfather's church and, you know, the Branham family and the Branham organizations had no idea that Al Capone also came here and was doing business deals with the Wathen family and, you know, the different distilleries that are in Jeffersonville or were in Jeffersonville and Louisville. Well, as I am researching through this and I'm going through all these archives, I find out that the Branham mentions him on name, Otto Wathen, who owns the R.H. Wathen Distilleries, has this whole network of individuals who are producing l liquor undercover in, you know, in their own homes or in their own land that they own. Well, Branham himself mentions making and producing that liquor. So... Through the course of my research, I actually connected him directly to the Chicago mob early on, and it blew my mind. So I'm going into courthouses and I'm digging through all of these government records, trying to piece all of this together. And it was known as Little Las Vegas, right? So this uh, yeah. this uh, Jeffersonville was known in that regard, and a lot of people were coming through there. But Branham had like a cathedral, right? There was a cathedral. But his public, like from your perspective, he was the prophet, right? So he is like almost this person on a pedestal and you're listening to tapes of him and his style was different. Like he would, the commentary on the Bible was more important than the Bible. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, it was, <clears throat> it's hard to even describe to somebody who wasn't manipulated into it because a lot of people will hear the statements made by Branham and just dismiss it as nonsense. One of the things that he said that I use as an example, uh, William Branham claimed that the first Bible was the Zodiac and the second Bible was the pyramids the, and specifically the great pyramid of Giza. And to the average person, they hear this and they think, well, that guy's a little crazy, right? <laughs> and <clears throat> Even through the course of my research, I did not, I was not able to fully connect those dots until just recently. But there was a movement called British Israelism in which they believe that the 12, the 12 lost tribes of Israel had actually landed in the British Isles and in America. And the, the final two tribes, the tribe of, uh, what was it, Manasseh and Ephraim, I believe, <clears throat> were the British Isles and the uh, the Americas. And so through British British Israelism, these crazy nutjob people started claiming that they had measured the inside measurements of the chambers of the pyramid and had predicted that the world is about to end in the early 1900s. And to the British Israelites, it was a Bible, and they started declaring it was a Bible. And... The problem is most of the people who, who ascribe to that doctrinal framework, they've all realized that it was nonsense and they've 
completely erase their histories. You'll find many men who actually toured in conferences for British Israelism who will deny that they ever did. And because of that, when Branham says it, I had no idea where he, where it came from until recently, but this whole framework existed of just what we would call today nonsense, but William Branham would rebrand it as prophecy. And he created these, you know, in, in essence, they were stage personas. He would create a stage persona of a specific theme, and then he would run with that theme until it no, no longer sold out to crowds. Then he would change or alter his stage persona to a new one, and you'll find a British Israel stage persona. You'll find everything from Pentecostal to Baptists. And, um, you know, for me, I just wanted to know, what is the accurate, true history? And that's why I spent so many years digging into this. Right. So he was kind of uh, syncretizing all different these themes. When I was growing up, I, I grew up in California and we would watch late night televangelists. The guy's name was Gene Scott. And he was that pyramid. King's Chamber was dating yes. stuff and the world was coming to an end. And he would have this ridiculous uh, drawing board and just be scribbling like crazy. But he would <laughs> and then he'd get done and go get on the phones and give me money. Like it was yeah. like incredible. And he was rich and he had a horse farm. And I think he passed away, Gene Scott. I forgot. Let's see what the date, 2019. But he was uh, incredible. But he was one of those types. He had that whole element of the British Israelism uh, in his preaching. And I think that's actually kind of what Mormonisms too. I think they believe they're of the birth line of a frame or something like that. But um, yeah, that, that's a whole nother story. But so Branham... But so when you were growing up inside that church, uh, you didn't know there we weren't aware of his of his real background. He told the story of growing up in a shack and oh yeah, uh, being a prophet and all this stuff. Right? Yeah, I I mean I was completely blindsided because I believe this stuff hook hook line and sinker. I had no idea that it was a stage persona and very little of it was real. After I started to wake up and I started to, you know, investigate, I would compare what he said with the actual history and they're night and day different. You know, they're, they're completely sometimes polar opposite histories, but I started to notice, notice patterns and the patterns would be threads of truth that were woven in fiction. And if you could find out what was the thread of truth that he said consistently, Usually that would point me to where I could research and find the actual truth, which is very difficult because he has, we have access to about 1500 sermons, transcripts from William Branham. <clears throat> we were told that what he even says in one of his later stage personas, he says the very day that the angel gave me my commission to heal the sick in 1947 was the very same day that Israel became a nation which I could tell was nonsense because that's not even the year that Israel became a nation, 48, right? right. <laughs> 48, right? So I started digging and well, that thread, there was a thread of truth in that his ministry was attempting to be based on the birth of Israel, but it was, it was based prior to the 1947 date. And so I continued to dig and I started finding newspaper articles that referenced 
his ministry as early as 1945. And I continued digging and long story short, over the course of 10 years, we've actually moved the date back. It's more towards like, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like 1928. He was touring with um, his mentor, which you mentioned, Roy E. Davis, and the supreme religious chaplain of the Klan. Uh, his name was Caleb A. Ridley. We've placed them at a at a um, healing revival or or a Christian a Pentecostal revival in uh, 1928 in Tennessee. So these guys, and, and who was Roy Davis? Like these guys had this public persona as these religious leaders, but there's, you talk about secret meetings and uh, some other interests, right? Oh, yeah. Roy Davis is probably the most fascinating character that I've uncovered. Um, Brana mentions him frequently. There's this technique called name dropping. When you're trying to become bigger than you are, you drop names of famous people and Branham would go from town to town and say, I was ordained into the ministry as a Baptist by Dr. R. Roy E. Davis. And so I, I became curious, who is this Roy Davis, right? And what's interesting for me, 1933 was a significant date for the cult. It is any of the biographies that you read of William Branham or any of the, there's several of these televangelists and leaders of strange fringe movements of Christianity that, that reverence or give reverence to William Branham. And they'll all mention that he was this prophet who had seven prophecies. And in my research of that, that's really what led me to Davis because I started looking at the seven. What are the seven, right? And I pulled up the transcripts and I chronologically, I put them in order. And I found the list of seven, which I, you know, I'd heard sermon after sermon talking about these seven from pastors in the cult from coast to coast. But I started noticing that <clears throat> the list of seven wasn't consistent. There were others. And I think the the last count I had was 16 different claims of seven prophecies. In other words, 16 different prophecies that he claimed were the seven when you combine them all together. And they were allegedly <clears throat> supposed to have came to him in 1933. So as I'm digging through the archives in the Jeffersonville courthouse and the Jeffersonville library, I'm going through all these microfiche and... <clears throat> Suddenly, I started realizing that the man's church did not even exist in 1933. He was still with Roy Davis. And the claim was that William Branham was a Baptist minister avoiding the Pentecostal call who had a severely traumatic event in his life. His wife and daughter were killed in the 1937 flood, and that convinced him to be Pentecostal. And that led to the Lateran movement, et cetera. So in 1933, he was not supposed to have been Pentecostal. Yet, as I'm going through the newspaper articles, I start finding these advertisements for Roy E. Davis's Pentecostal church. So I began to wonder, <laughs> who is Davis? <clears throat> and that trail of research lasted from about 2014 and 
I would like to say it's ended, but I'm still finding new things about Davis. Davis was, and I did not know this at the time of writing this book, so this will be new to you. Davis was the second in command for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan. He was the personal official spokesperson for William Joseph Simmons. <clears throat> and when the Klan was investigated in Washington, D.C. in um, early 20s, I think it was 1924, if I remember correctly, <clears throat> Davis and Simmons were basically ousted from the Klan and they started a new organization trying to replace the Klan. And at that time, the Indiana Klan took power. And in Indiana, there was a growing Pentecostal movement led by an African-American named G.T. Haywood, who published this tract called The Victim of the Flaming Sword. And he was taking the nation by storm. It actually went international, his... his um, prominence in the Pentecostal movement due to this victim of the flaming sword. And these, again, these were interracial revivals that he was holding. So Davis and Simmons, apparently in opposition, created a white supremacy group called the Knights of the Flaming Sword. And Davis created a, <clears throat> he established a Pentecostal sect called the Pentecostal Baptist Church of God, and he planted one first in Louisville, Kentucky, but he <laughs> he was quite a scoundrel. He had a, a whole swath of crimes in his path from in his past, from everything from swindling people out of money to bigotry to um, he had mul he had multiple wives and multiple lives and <laughs> multiple states. <clears throat> he got caught in Louisville sleeping with an underage girl and came to Jeffersonville and planted the church that became my grandfather's church. And that church eventually became over time when Davis was ran out of Jeffersonville. I think he went to prison after this. <clears throat> when he went to prison, William Branham took over his church and it transitioned later into first the Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle. And later, the um, it turned into the Branham Tabernacle in 1945, I believe it was. So Davis was, uh, we we could do a whole series of podcasts on him. Right. But essentially, he he was the he was the big man in the clan. He later rose to become the Imperial Wizard of the clan, headquartered in Dallas. Oh wow, that's amazing! And for people who don't know, that's like the interwar period. The Klan was very prominent. They marched on Washington. Birth of a Nation featured the Klan, like a very important book uh, film for that time. I think it won an Academy Award. But its uh, predominance was there, and like they they were able to exert political power. So uh, that's like what you're saying is that this church was was this kind of Klan inspired or the, the clan connection is very strong in this church movement from Davis to uh, Branham, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk more about that, the clan's ideas and why, what clan ideas kind of infiltrated this? And Branham was kind of a scoundrel too, not just Davis, right? Would you agree with that? <laughs> yes. And that that's a long history too. There, there's a trail of just weird things and, in his life and past, but <clears throat> the Indiana clan was a bit different in the South. 
you know, the, the Klan was rebirthed in 1915 in Atlanta, Georgia. <clears throat> in Atlanta, Georgia, it was, you know, during a time right after the re, the um, right after the Reconstruction days, they were very anti-black in the in the South. So the Southern Klan was you find predominantly was against blacks and Jews. But in Indiana, there were there wasn't as much of a black and Jew population, but there were Catholics. So the Indiana clan was strongly anti-Catholic, even though they did share some of the same anti-Jew, anti-black themes. They they really didn't exercise it because there weren't as many blacks here. So it was a strong anti-Catholic theme. And um, you know, growing up, I was trained to believe that the Catholics were the Antichrist and the end of days was tied to the Pope. And there's this whole set of knowledge that's programmed in my head that some of it is shared among evangelical Christians, but a lot of it was just doomsday nonsense that I did not know where it came from until I started investigating the Klan. And until recently, I did not piece it all together. But Specifically, the transformation of what I believed came from the intersection in time where British Israelism began to transition into the Christian identity movement. And there was a character that I stumbled onto in my research through work with my partner that um, his name was Wesley A. Swift. He is one of the key figures in Christian identity and a strong proponent of the two-seed doctrine, the doctrine that the biblical Eve from the Garden of Eden mated with the serpent, who was the devil, to produce the race of people with black skin. Now, See, I was trained to believe from birth that this was the true doctrine, that Satan did have sex with Eve and produced Cain, The difference is Branham was very, very subtle in the way in which he did it. He did not say specifically that it was a black person that was created. He just said simply, the serpent mated with Eve and produced Cain and created a second bloodline. But then he would later follow up with additional doctrines, which I also was trained and manipulated to believe. One of them was hybriding. And the hybriding doctrine, a black person could not marry a white person because that created a hybrid person so when you combine all of this together it was completely the clan's propaganda and you know it it was the christian identity doctrine rebranded the problem is because of branham's popularity in the healing revivals and as leader of the post-world war ii healing revival he was able to convince the masses that this 2c doctrine was true And he did so, again, subtly by not mentioning the words black or Jew. But anybody who subscribes to this belief system and who reads and studies what the man said, he would later follow up with things like, in the end, there will be a race war. The whites and the blacks will fight and there will blood will be shed. And he says things like the gospel is not even to the Jews. So it's all Christian identity, but 
Branham specifically was trained by the second in command of the Ku Klux Klan. So you had the Christian identity of, of, of the West Coast. You had the Klan of the East Coast. It was all this hodgepodge of just purely evil theology. And that so that's the serpent seed doctrine, right? Is that there's some yes. kind of hybrid or offspring? Yes. Okay, so, okay, I can get that. And so then, so he kind of was able to kind of whitewash himself through this healing movement. Can you talk about that? Seems to be kind of like uh, something that came up later in his kind of uh, religious career, right? Right. So. <clears throat> Like I said, the earliest that we piece them together, he's touring with Davis. He, I, I stumbled onto it by accident. I went to see the Nashville Parthenon, which is fascinating if you've never seen it. But I'm there and I, I see the Parthenon and I see, you know, it's an art museum. And suddenly it clicked. Branham mentioned this place. And I go look it up. And sure enough, he says he was there with Davis. So I got the dates and who all was there. So Davis is there who was. Again, he was building a new white supremacy group. Branham was there, 1920. Again, it was like 1928, I believe. Caleb Ridley, who's the imperial wizard of the Klan. And so these guys were, you know, touring at, at that early, early stage. I mentioned the serpent seed Christian identity, which came from Wesley Swift. Well, on the other side of the nation, in the... Also about the same time, Swift is being, a, a few years later, Swift is being trained in the Angelus Temple. And in the Angelus Temple, they're teaching British Israelism. We have identified the two-seed doctrine being taught by key figures in there. The Angelus Temple apparently funded this Sharon, um, Sharon Orphanage in North Battlefield, Saskatchewan. And at the Sharon Orphanage, they started believing that the doctrine that they heard of William Branham and the fasting doctrine that they heard of Franklin Hall, combined with the British Israel theology, was producing a final wave of Pentecostalism before the end of days and birthed what is called the Latter Rain Movement. And as that is being birthed, Branham is being transitioned into a newer stage persona. He, he and Davis had tried to infiltrate the Pentecostal churches with their Pentecostal Baptist Church of God sect at the time in which the UPC was being formed. So Branham was rising in popularity in the Pentecostal circles, which is why his name got heard in, you know, in Canada. <clears throat> this eventually led to him creating what was called the Voice of Healing Movement and a newspaper publication, newsletter publication, based off of that movement. So those two movements, you know, even though they look to be disconnected, we're starting to see trails of connection through different various people. These two merged to become what was called the post-World War II Healing Revival, and it was approximately 1947, early 1948. This just swept through the United States and Canada. A revivalist like tent meeting movement and uh, with faith healing. And did that have the connection? Is that where Jones kind of learned his kind of techniques? Do you know? 
It was specifically what became the latter rain movement. Jones was in it. Jones was actually a leader in it. Since I've written this book, you can go to my website and you type in Jim Jones in the search. You'll find letters where Jones is being introduced directly to Branham. And long story short, Jones rises up to become a leader in the movement. And he's organizing and hosting Branham healing revivals in multiple states, not just in Indiana. Um, Jones became somewhat famous through all of this. He and Branham held a joint convention in 1956 in Indianapolis, um, again in 1957, and specifically over the serpent seed doctrine, the (laughs) the two apparently parted ways, and something like if I remember the number correctly, it was like two or 300 ministers rose up in opposition to Branham and started issuing death curses on him. And at that point, Jones and Branham began to separate. Interesting. But they were seen together. There was some kind of, I think on your website, there was some kind of cross-pollination going on between them. Can you mm-hmm. define what the latter rain <clears throat> term is? I don't, I've never heard what that is. I don't understand what that, where that, that term comes from or what it means. Yeah, so <clears throat> Pentecostalism was re- the modern Pentecostalism was birthed in 1907, 1906 in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. <clears throat> and one of the prophecies that from the Bible that they used to birth this was from the book of Joel talking about the former and the latter rain. The prophecy of Joel is talking about this. <clears throat> well, in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost that prophecy is referenced and it talks about that as the former rain this is the new rain <clears throat> when pentecostalism was rebirthed that was then reused to claim that early night you know the 20th century rebirth of pentecostalism was a latter rain to its former rain <clears throat> that was the first wave of pentecostalism the latter rain movement sparked what became the second wave and It was named that because (laughs) it again took the prophecy of Joel and shifted it once again, where the, you know, the latter rain movement became the latter rain to Azusa Street's former rain. That's why Azusa out here on the West Coast is so, it's like a Mecca for Pentecostals, right? Isn't there even Azusa Pacific uh, school? Like there's a college or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so Jones and uh, my understanding is Brandon's healing was kind of like the televangelist faith healing where like somebody already can walk and then they magically get up from a wheelchair or something like that. Would, would you agree with that? Do you think he was an authentic healer or was he a fake healer? I we have strong evidence that suggests that it was fake. There were people who were healed in the meeting who claimed their healing, I should say. The problem is they associated it with Branham. <clears throat> and I, you take any group of 10,000 people, you're going to find a small percentage of them who their body will naturally get better anyway. So Branham was using this technique. He would 
hold these massive audiences and then call people to stand up who you got better. So you stand up and <laughs> you're the, you're the one, right? <clears throat> well, we have identified in our newspapers, there were people who got healed of the same thing in multiple meetings. In other words, this person went to town, pretended to be sick, was allegedly healed. The same exact person goes to a different town, has the same exact disease, gets healed of the same exact disease in another town. You don't do this if you're an honest, reputable person. We have also identified people who he claimed to be healed, who either continued with their condition for the rest of their life or they died of that condition. The most famous of which, if you go to my website and just type in Donnie Morton, this is, <laughs> I was told when I left, I was actually scorned by friends and family members because they associate healing with salvation. If you, if you believe, and if you are saved, you can also be healed. That's how this works. I was actually scorned on the way out. Well, what about Donnie Morton? He was healed. So this must be of God. Well, Donnie Morton was one of William Branham's most famous healings. And it was actually in the story behind it was actually in the Reader's Digest uh, magazine. But the problem is, while Branham claimed that Donnie Morton was healed in his meetings, and there's this fabulous story of Morton getting better and recovering from, I think it was multiple sclerosis, or I can't remember the exact disease. <clears throat> the Reader's Digest story tells the, the story of his family coming to the healer. But what they don't tell you is, right after that, the boy died of those same diseases. And apparently Branham was confronted about this. And so he had to explain, well, how did the guy die of the same disease? And Branham said, well, he was healed, but then he got worse again. And in the end, the boy was not healed. We find example after example after example of this. And I can say with assurance that, you know, while God may heal a person and a person who believes in God may show up in one of these meetings, the man who was on the platform was a complete fraud. Yeah, it's very similar to Jones. Jones would do the same thing. And if the person wasn't healed, it was their own fault. It was their lack of faith. Mm -hmm. So um, it's yeah. kind of strange. You know, that was kind of their rationale. So he must have learned that from being in this circuit, I would assume. What is Jones's The Malachi for Elijah Prophecy? You wrote a whole book about that, right? Yeah, I, in fact, whenever I wrote that, I, I understood that there was a trail of people doing this and I just, you know, I, I realized that we were, there were a bunch of charlatans <laughs> in the trail. And so that's what the book is about. These, these are the guys who are claiming that they are the spirit of the return of the spirit of Elijah and they're a fraud. And here's evidence that they're a fraud. What I did not realize at the time I wrote it was that the whole framework of this exists because of British Israelism. British Israelism had the notion that, again, the true tribes of Israel are the white-skinned people of the British Isles and the Americas, <clears throat> but their theology was a bit deeper than this. They believed that the Bible, the, specifically the Old Testament, was written as a shadow of things to come. In other words, yes, it was written to the ancient Jews for the ancient Jews, however, in the 20th century, those same verses are a shadow of what exists today. An example of this is, 
the book of Nahum in the Old Testament, it's talking about the chariots running to and fro of an, of an ancient civilization that no longer even exists. In the latter rain revivals, William Branham said that was pointing to Chicago. And when you hear this, if you're never in this, you think, well, that's nonsense. <clears throat> but in the British Israel framework, you could take specific pieces of verses. And if it looked any way, shape or form similar to today, you could point it to this. One of the most powerful ones that they used was the Malachi 4 prophecy. Behold, before the great and terrible day, I will send you Elijah the prophet. And so you had religious scoundrels who claimed that they were this. Anybody who could understand and believe the British Israel doctrines, they would do this. And I first uncovered Frank Sanford doing this. He had this very destructive cult in Maine. Uh, John Alexander Dowie, who before the Chicago mob invaded <laughs> invaded Chicago, I actually wrote a whole book on this, that the Dowie book that I wrote. Before the Chicago mob invaded Chicago, you had the Dowie mob that controlled Chicago. And it was actually Dowie's leaving Chicago that opened a void that in my opinion, the Chicago mob could have never existed without that void. And <clears throat> Dowie claimed that he was this return of Elijah. This interested me because growing up, I was manipulated to believe that William Branham was the return of Elijah for our day. And so I just began to wonder, okay, who else did this? I found Dowie. I found, I found uh, Sanford. And then suddenly I find... Pentecostal founder Charles Fox Parham, who tried to take over Dowie's throne when Dowie was losing power, he pretended that he was this Elijah. And the trail just went on and on through time. And the, the final one that I found just blew my mind. I was, re I was reading through the Jim Jones research on jonestown.sdsu.edu, and I'm working very closely with the founders of that because they, they had no idea this history existed. Well, they started sharing with me transcripts of Jones and I'm reading through his healing lines and I see this woman stand up and he, she said something to the effect, thank you, Jones. Thank you, Elijah. And suddenly I realized Jones is doing this too. And that led me on a deep dive into understanding British, the British Israel Elijah doctrine, the what's called the manifested sons of God doctrine, which states that in the last days, God will manifest himself in specific individuals. And oh, by the way, they will become cult leaders and take over your minds. It, it's a fascinating research, but that's ultimately that's what the book is about. Crazy. And so uh, Brandon was also kind of an end times guy, like the end is coming soon, too. So he had that cult element mm -hmm. in his uh, religious philosophy. Is that is that correct? Yeah, Branham was what's called a doomsday prophet, and he had several different doomsdays. <clears throat> in fact, there were some I'm still finding new ones. But again, it's built on top of British Israelism, which claimed that we're nearing the king's chamber in the great pyramid of Giza. So therefore, the end of days is here. So every single person who subscribes to that, do that false doctrine 
it, the crazy nut jobs turn into doomsday prophets and Branham was no exception. We've, if you type in doomsday prophecy on my website, you'll find a list of the different ones, but <clears throat> Branham's most famous failed doomsday prophecy was 1977. And I wish I'd have brought it out. I've got a pamphlet that they used to pass out in the cult entitled 1977, because that's when the world will end. And when I was growing up, you know, obviously I was born 1976. I was well past the 77 date. What happens is whenever a doomsday date fails in a doomsday cult, then the shift goes to, okay, well, that one was wrong. When's the next one? When's the next one? When's the next one? <laughs> Isn't that <clears> what Miller of, did on the seven days of Ventus? Oh, they all did. Like, this, they had a, yeah, they just, oh, well, uh, I got it wrong. It's another 10 years. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Keep giving me your they money. I mean, these guys are yeah. really good. When you overlook each one of these preachers, they have the same playbook. There must be like the uh, cult preacher playbook that nobody has ever seen, but they have yeah. so many similar similarities. It's really incredible. Yeah, I was grow when I grew up. William Branham's son, Billy Paul Branham, toured from coast to coast, and one of William Branham's prophecies was that right at the time of the destruction of the United States, which was also tied to doomsday, <clears throat> Los Angeles would sink beneath the ocean. And it's William Branham's famous Los Angeles prophecy. And he, it's the only one that he gave a, he tied it to a person. <laughs> and basically it was like a noose around the neck of his own son. He said, before you, my son, Billy Paul, are an old man, California, where you're standing, sharks will be swimming because California is going to sink. <clears throat> so all my life, I would go to these conventions where his son, Billy Paul, was speaking. And he was way up on age whenever I was growing up, you know, 50s or 60s. And He's standing there saying, I'm looking at him thinking, well, that's an old man. And he's saying things like, but I'm not an old man yet because that California is still there and, and we're still here. Well, you know, it, this went on and on. He, he lived a long life. And then as of last month, I believe it was, he finally has died, which was the nail in a coffin in another failed doomsday. And the cult has already shifted and, and has kick the can again and the date will be shifted to the future heard a newer prophecy somewhere else to, you know, another proof of the <laughs> end it's almost funny when you see how many of these I yeah mean, seventh it's, day adventist uh yeah was it yahweh or what is it what's the uh, jehovah's witness they all do the same techniques it's really and that's how they keep people in line because they're afraid of yeah. the end and they want to be prepped for the next world a really interesting yeah. talk. I mean, this guy, I'm glad that you wrote a book about uh, this character, William Brandon. I think he's very important. And you can see similarities between him and Jones and how Jonestown happened <clears> or <throat> how this progression. We, we know Jones was born in, was it Bend, Indiana? Where was Jones born? I forgot. It was close to this, <coughs> right? Jim Jones, do you know? Oh, you're, you're muted. I think <clears throat> it was Lynn, Indiana. Lynn, Indiana, something like a smaller mm -hmm. town. But... Yeah. Uh, we, John, we are at the 47 minute mark. Do you have time to take a few questions? Sure. Yeah. Um, Susan asked, ask about John G. Lake. Are you familiar with that name? I am. And um, in fact, if you go to my website and type in John G. Lake, you'll find some research 
right immediately before this call. <laughs> I almost had it almost had trouble joining this because I ran out of time. Uh, one of my researchers has been working with me and we have uncovered John G. Lake's insinuation that he is the return of the the spirit of Elijah in one of his books. And very soon I'll be updating the page with that information. But John G. Lake was deeply, deeply involved with the ministry of John Alexander Dowie. So if you want to know Lake's history and where what trained John G. Lake, my book, um, Weaponized Religion, A Critical Examination of John Alexander Dowie is the book to get. John B. asks, does Mr. Collins know what the Ku, Ku Klux Klan means or where it comes from? It is Ku Klux Klan, and I did. I, I'm drawing a blank right now on them. You can go to Wikipedia and you can type it up, and I think you can find where that came from. But it is a it's a phrase that I, uh, at the moment, I can't remember. Right. Did you ever find a connection between Albert Pike and the Ku, Ku Klux Klan? Was that something that ever came across your research? Mm, there, there, there were some, yeah, there were some Masonic connections I came across. The, the Masons are deeply tied into this. I, <laughs> Because of my research, I'm trying to rewrite and correct history. I try at all costs to avoid conspiracy theories. But if I were entertained by conspiracy theories, you would find... So many different connections. Branham himself mentions the Klan and the Masons. So he knows about that. And what are you working on next? Do you have anything else that's coming up? Or uh, I know you've been working on a podcast. I saw you just put out your 90th episode. Can you talk about that or any other projects you're working on? Yeah. So we, we actually have a lot of things in the works. Um, <clears throat> I am, we're starting to prepare for season, the next season of our podcast. And we're about to dive deeply into the Christian fundamentalism movement, the populism movement, the identity movement. All of these converge to create this thing that we talked about today. <clears throat> we covered William Branham and his history and basically everything that we've talked about today, you'll find in depth in my podcast. It's the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. You can go to william-branham.org slash podcast and you can find it so on <clears throat> YouTube, Spotify, all of your podcast places. Next season, we're getting, like I said, diving deep into the populist, fundamentalist um, identity movements and how they are tied to this. We're also spinning off a sub podcast, if you can call it that, episodes scattered in between on the new apostolic reformation. The NAR is deeply, deeply tied to this in ways that I am still scratching the surface, but we have just invited Steve Montgomery, to, who's been working with me for some time, to help unravel all of those connections. Names like, you'd hear the name Joel Osteen with the New Apostolic Reformation. Well, his father, John Osteen, was in this Lateran movement, and wow. I can place... I can place him in Houston with the key figures in the Branham organization. It's a big, big deal. Wow. Wow. Big, big That's deal. huge. That's huge. So the undercurrent of this identity, which branched off into this really hardcore Christian identity, white racism stuff, yeah. it still has kind of tensions <clears throat> going around. Wow. That's amazing. 
Oh yeah. Colonia Dignidad, which you mentioned, I think through the email, it's fascinating. We have tied this to, there was a rise of American Nazism, which led to the great sedition trial of 1944. And part of I mentioned Branham has multiple stage personas that he's covered up. The earliest that they give you access to see is 1947 stage persona. But he mentions on tape almost being arrested for his statements against Mussolini at the time in which the the great sedition trial of 1944, all of these guys were talking about Mussolini and the doomsday. Um, it's all tied to British Israelism. We're going to get into that in the podcast, but I am starting to flesh out the chapters of a book that I'm working on where I talk about all of that. Interesting. And on the subject of books, can you get signed copies? Is the best place to get books through your website, william-branham.org? Is that a good spot? <clears throat> all of my books are on Amazon, and you can find the links to them on william-branham.org. If you're wanting books, I highly recommend to start with Preacher Behind the White Hoods. And this weaponized religion is my newest one. This is about the Nazi concentration camp called Colonia Dignidad, where the United States government was working with these latter rain guys. I've got a photograph on my website of Nixon working with these guys. <clears throat> they set a yeah, they set up a compound called Colonia Dignidad in Chile. And it became known to the Germans as the, quote unquote, the colony. They would land in the colony and escape through a network of tunnels into Argentina. That was their landing place. Well, they were producing weapons of mass destruction. We're talking sarin gas and all kinds of chemical and biological weapons, torture chambers, killing people. All of this was going on, and that was a William Branham cult compound in Chile called Colonia Dignidad. A lot of people don't know that side of its history. It paraded and presented itself as like a religious monastery, and it was super dark. The guy who ran that was a pedophile, and they oh, were yeah. involved in the uh, overthrow of Allende, I think, in 71. Like they were allowing torture to go on there when Pinochet came to power. I think there was a connection between that as well. It just oh, yeah. really... It's a really incredible part of history that it's connection to Branham. I think I never heard that ever. So I think that may be another, another show for some other time, but yeah. uh, I will put links to your website and to your podcast in the show notes. So people can check that out and is the best place to contact. If anybody has further questions is through your website, the best place to mm -hmm. go. William-Branham.org slash contact. Awesome. Well, thanks for so much uh, for your talk. Really great information and great research. Like this book is remarkable. I read a lot of books, but this book is remarkable in that you show exactly where you're going for your research. It's not just a footnote <laughs> or an end note. It's like, I'm at this library. Come check this out. This is where I got the information. So there, kudos to you. There was a there was a period of time when I was doing this. I also had a YouTube blog. The, the cult has actually attacked me several times. They brought all of that down. But I did have a YouTube blog, and I would video myself going in there. And I have been in the courthouse so many times. I knew the, the man who managed the section that had all of the archives. I knew him on a first-name basis. And there towards the end, they weren't allowing the general public in. And I could just walk right in because he knew who you I know, was. He, had, he knew you had that oh, relationship. Yeah. That's cool. That's <laughs> cool. And again, the author's name is John Andrew Collins. Published a book, 2020. Full title is Preacher Behind the White Hoods, 
a critical examination of William Branham and his message. Thank you so much for your time. Good to have. Thank All you right, for having there. me. Yeah, stay there. Stay there. <laughs>